it sort of relates then to what you wrote about human transformation in that, I mean, Charles' work stood out because he found in the majority of cases it was a trauma of some kind. It was a health scare or going broke or a relationship breakdown or whatever that forced people's hands or or cracked the carapace of their minds, he he describes, Mm -hmm. to a new worldview. You found in your work with people that actually it's not necessarily in the majority of cases that trauma is or crisis is the trigger. No. There are other things at play that can perhaps more proactively into yeah. the transformation that we're after. And and Jono's story was amazing, mm. compelling in that way. Can you describe a mm. bit about what you've observed? Yeah, and part of it was like asking that question. I actually, it was my master's topic, which ended up being unfinished, my thesis. Um, but looking at drivers for why people would shift um, to aligning with nature and reducing inputs and building soil health. And I, I didn't want to include those that were driven by trauma or a health shock. I wanted to kind of see, well, no, what would, what would make this possible for anybody, you know, wherever they yeah. are on the spectrum. And so that's kind of where that questioning came from. And so, you, you know, you do meet a lot, like I think probably 20 years ago, a lot of the people in my field were there because they were chemical applicators or their kids had leukemia um, mm. or something had happened to like really shock their system. And now I'm finding that we're, we're beyond that kind of early, I guess those early innovators or those that were kind of more prone to, to risk or had that shock. And now we're dealing more with the, the beginning of that middle of the bell curve, which is people that just kind of really aspire for something outside of themselves that they can see that those profit margins are shrinking that they can kind of see future trends um i talk about jack Stahl, who i just adore he, he could just see what's happening you know and we saw this in canada last year is um without warning really the um, lentil and the can- uh, lentils and i think canola no it wouldn't be canola lentils and something else or oh, chickpeas I can't remember what it was. But anyway, they put these great full-page adverts out in the rural papers saying um, we will not be taking desiccated um, crops this year. That's it. And so suddenly farmers up there were left with no other options. So they were chemically desiccating with glyphosate. And suddenly the industry body's like, oh, you can't do that anymore. Um, And they were at a loss for what to do. Whereas Jack Stahl was like, hey, we, we see that these things are happening and we are hearing, you know, the millennials and people talking about wanting to have better food quality or being really concerned about greenhouse gases. And it's like, there is such an, a growing number of farmers that you've got two choices. You can stick your head in the sand and your butt up in the air and, and just hope this is going to go away. Um, or you can be really proactive. And I, yeah, I don't think you need to be like um, out on the edge to be proactive anymore. I think there's enough resources and enough people doing this now to not feel like it's so risky or it's so scary because actually it's scarier to, to just keep sticking your head in the sand. And are you finding that it's when people are brought together, peers are brought together, that the mm. learning and transformation is enabled in these sorts of ways, as opposed to yep. doing consulting gigs sort of one-on-one. And, and perhaps that recent yeah. hammering you got is is another indication of this, that actually getting community yeah. together is powerful. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's really how I, that's where I learned the most. It's how I started out 
really was in um, like we had the what we called the biological barbecues and you know we'd get together every <laughs> six weeks and there's a bunch of us and we'd bring our kids and and have a barbecue and we'd geek out and we would go and look at the worst field and the best field and go and look at the dying bull that's over there and um, we called it ruffling through the underpant drawer like nothing was that's hidden right. um, there were no secrets and um the learning was just phenomenal and so probably of the last month i'm no longer consulting in that uh, you know in that old style way mm. like i really want to work with groups uh, and have that hive mind work together because it's not about having some external expertise it is about that group working out what works well in my local conditions and what different conversations are we starting to see? What are we thinking about market forces or whatever? And we actually had a great night last night with a bunch of um, ranchers. They called them the bullshit pen or something like that. I know they're kind of getting together and, oh, the bullpen. But, yeah, there might have been a bit of bullshit. Um, uh, I like But the idea, yeah, just the, the value and the, the strength that we kind of get from each other in terms of, oh, I was going to try this and you've been doing it for six years and you've already kind of worked this out and, you know, what did you do here and there? And, and just that confidence that we get from working together. And you mentioned John O'Frew. He's part of a group called the Quorum Sense in, in New Zealand. And just to see the power of a, a community having the willingness to have conversations and because and, it's not all unicorn horns and rose petals like yeah. we all have those those learning let's say the, you know those learning experiences you know there's, <laughs> there's things that, that don't go well at the time and are really upsetting and you look back and you go wow i'm so pleased that that happened i wouldn't be this person or i wouldn't have made this decision without that event but um if you can do that with a group it can just feel a bit safer than being out there and isolated by yourself and and i think of one of my um, one of my big cropping operations right now, and, and they just feel so isolated. There's no one in their local area that's doing this. Everybody's questioning them. Everyone's telling them they're crazy, and um, and they begin to doubt themselves. Whereas if we work together as a you know these hubs or community, um, yeah, it just really helps. I think with with confidence. There we go. We've come full circle to that mycelial network metaphor, which mm -hmm. I did want to come back to, but. There it is where, again, you don't focus on the individual hits you get or the things that don't go well. You're tending the overall system mm -hmm. together as a system, as a community. And I remember Zach actually saying something like, we need to organise ourselves like the microbiome, like even politically, yeah. like across the mm -hmm. spectrum. And here you've mm -hmm. said, the regen ag is like a it's just happening by virtue of that sort of living expression like mm -hmm. a mycelial network that feeds mm -hmm. everything and feeds into everything so yeah. interesting to see that overlap in your mm -hmm. thinking and and that it plays out actually in your work yeah with those communities yeah. of practice and support yeah well i think it's a lived experience as opposed to having to think about it or experience it it's like it's just that's that inner and outer thing you know there is no mm. separation and so we do that inner work and we do that outer work through community and, and through family and you know even though i'm on the opposite side of the world of my family i still you know technology enables us to feel connected and 
kind of keep the conversation going. And I yeah. think we have more access to that. And it's amazing just to hear from people and maybe um, I'm doing a online soil school at the moment. And, you know, we've got people connecting from Chile and Zimbabwe mm -hmm. and Scotland and, and hearing all the accents been amazing. Yes. Um, but just like to see that people are going, well, you know, I'm really dealing with this. And for someone on the other side of the world to say, oh, wow, I am too. Um, or I'm having the, I mean, I'm thinking about this and it's like, we're not alone, you know, and, and I think, it's, you know, technology is the ability to connect us, but also make us feel incredibly isolated. And I think um, these soil experiences are really connecting people to see that we're not alone and, yeah, we're not having to kind of reinvent some wheel. There's, we just need to start listening because nature knows what to do. <laughs> you know? yeah. We're the ones complicating things and get back to those simple things of diversity. Is that diversity on the landscape or is it diversity of what we're eating or diversity of people uh, around us that we look to for information or support? And I think there's so much of like nature's rules that we need to be bringing into our own internal space or our days, even if we're living in the city to think about um, what would it look like to be nature, to yeah have that in our, in our world. Mm, that's beautiful. That was yeah. quite good. I quite like it. Oh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess this segues too to something I wanted to come back to before we close, Nicole, where it came up at the start where you said, actually, I don't like the word expert. No. That I'm more a storyteller. I wanted to a ask. A magpie. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear the magpies here? No. There I you can't, go. but are they singing? They are. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I had an experience with a kookaburra last time I was in Australia and it was a significant experience for me. And mm. yeah. Yeah, there's there's some there's some magic in kookaburras and yeah, you know, oh. anytime birds or any kind of animals turn up, like I've really started to go, hmm, I wonder um, what your what your message is, like what, what is it that I need to be listening to? Mm. Yeah, case in point, exactly. And many of these mm. predate the dinosaurs disappearing. Mm. In, it's, yeah, they're yeah, ancient right. in ways we don't even yeah begin to understand. So yeah, that that's case in point. So with the storytelling, yeah. what we are seeing is a bit of, I don't know if explosions over cooking it, but there's a lot of stories, you know, from the Attenborough film to Kiss the Ground. Mm -hmm. You mentioned one a little earlier too. Didn't you? Oh, yes, the biggest little farm. Biggest little farm. Yeah. yeah. And a mate Damon here with 2040. Mm. There's so much coming out. And yeah. I had, I think I had three documentaries I got asked to review yes. last month. And it's like, wow, you know, like to... <laughs> I mean, someone made the comment about, oh, you know, the soil stuff, you know, happens so fast. And I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's been really fast. Yeah, um, totally. But I guess from someone on the outside, like, oh, yeah, I wanted to be famous. So I got into soil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like we kind of had in mind around soil, like that there was anything sexy to do with soil. And suddenly yeah. soil's getting the attention that it should do because everything comes back to soil um, and, you know, the alignment, I guess, with, with human health and global health and everything. So it, it, it is incredibly exciting to see these documentaries coming out. It is. Yeah. So you're seeing that trajectory of the storytelling is hitting its straps a little bit. 
Well, I think, and this comes back to this word expert that I dislike, is that the people that are working really hard on the ground, the ones that actually are some of the best farmers and ranchers on the planet, are busy just doing it and have been doing it for, for absolute decades. And then the ones that get the attention are the communicators, are the storytellers, are the yeah. ones that maybe are traveling or whatever, but they're not necessarily the practitioners. And I think hmm. probably Gabe Brown is, is one of the few ones who I wouldn't include in that. But, you know, um, sometimes I feel like, who am I to be speaking? You know, I'm, oh. I don't have a ranch. And I'm Tell not me about doing it. all that stuff. Yeah. But you need the storytellers. You need the, the science communicators and the people that live in that limbo world and we need the, the expertise that's coming from on the ground because it's them that are building the foundation or the shoulders that I get to stand on which I'm very grateful for and I do love what I do but it's based on those extraordinary people that are more extraordinary than I feel I am it's just that they're busy doing it yeah, <laughs> and that's right why on. the word expert I'm like I'm not the expert people on the ground are the expert yeah I'm just, I am the magpie. I'm going to collect the shiny stories um, and the glittery things to share. But um, yeah. And keep warbling. And keep warbling. Yeah. No, I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> does it light your spark to think about what's possible out of all this? Or do you stay in the moment? Well, like I said, I just live like it is. I don't even live like it's a possibility. I just live like it actually is happening. Brilliant. You've landed perfectly where I wanted to end it because I was struck with the quote that you entered your last chapter with from Stephen Jenkinson. Oh, he moved me. Oh my gosh. If you can ever listen to anybody live, listen to Stephen Jenkinson. Oh, oh yeah. My gosh. So mm. when I rebranded the podcast, mm. he was the first guest I had. No way. Yeah. I can listen to that. Yeah, I got to see him live a few years ago and I was like, how do I not know this man? Just, oh. No, that's right. And so for me to see that you'd sort of gone out with a line from him. Yeah. Stephen's quote, of course, was about hope and hopelessness being yeah. both the same yeah. problem. Yes. They're both, what did he say? Something like they're both not tolerant of the present moment. That's right. Yeah, like hope is something that you mortgage your future to. Like it's a someday, one day out in the future. Live it like it's now. Don't live in hope because where is the empowerment in, in hope? And I, I, know, I know people have a different relationship with that word hope. And there's, I mean, I love, there's a great book by um, Solnit called yeah. Hope that I love. Me too. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't have hope, but it's... Um, really to, to step into the future, we need to live it like it's, it's now. Otherwise, it's the same thing as the peace quote, you know. How can mm. you talk about peace when you don't have peace inside you? How can we talk about regeneration and health if we, if we can't build that in our own lives? So I'm really committed to being the work and, and I think to really shift things, we have to be willing to do that um, even when it's uncomfortable. Beautiful. All right, Nicole, what's the piece of music that's been significant to you in your life? <laughs> oh, man, I have so many. I love music. So there's two themes I probably in the last year, and um, one is a group of uh, two women called Appalachian Rising. They do incredible 
music that just uh they sing to resilience and sing to nature and strength and just cool stuff and then there's a song that came out last year called um no roots by alice merton which is you spoke to me at the time about you know i've got no roots and and Mm. and you know i make my home kind of wherever i'm at so i need a new song now that i've got some roots and (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i've got a dog and my horse and now i just need a man and then yeah (laughs) i i was i was listening to a soil scientist recently and she was like so i'm single and that's because i'm married to my work and i was like no Uh uh-uh girlfriend i I don't want to have that for myself so i you know, I really do feel like I'm creating um, a home base at the mm. moment. So it's nice. Beautiful. Yeah, to think that there's further layers of generativity, if you like, coming out of this situation this year is a lovely way to close up. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Nicole. And, of course, to know that there is another song that needs to happen next to, yeah. to close out the Trinity, <laughs> then that's the next time in person. In person. Western Australia. Yeah. Someday. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. Thanks so much for this interview, Anthony. I've really enjoyed it. I asked for some different, let's talk some different stories than you did. So I appreciate it. I'm so glad. Yeah. No, I'm really appreciating your work, Nicole. Unsurprisingly, because you come up in every second conversation, I sort of felt like I knew you already, but it's it's actually (laughs) good to talk. Yeah. And yeah, I, I thank you a lot for your openness and generosity and just giving it everything you've got. Thanks, Anthony. That was Nicole Masters, regenerative soils educator, systems thinker, and author of the brilliant book, For the Love of Soil, Strategies to Regenerate Our Food Production Systems. For more on Nicole, the book, and her company, Integrity Soils, see the links in our program details. And you can hear more of my conversation with Nicole in an extra to this episode coming soon. As you know, I'm producing The Regeneration as an independent production, ad-free and freely available. That's thanks to you, generous supporters and partners. If you too value what you hear, and of course if you have the capacity at this time, please consider joining them by visiting the website via the show notes, regeneration.com. Thanks for your support and thanks as ever for sharing, rating and reviewing the podcast. The tune you're hearing is Faraway Castle by Ray Howell and Sunray. My name's Anthony James. Thanks for listening. <laughs>